Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first Deep Dive Books podcast. The Deep Dive Books podcast looks at a range of texts that address some of the cultural, political, and social pressures that shape the modern mind. By modern, we simply mean the present. It is not an ideological description for what we, humankind, must be, but the socio-historical pressures that have come to define where we as social beings currently are, or believe we are at. This podcast does not seek to disseminate a distinct political position. It seeks to be a centrist transmission of these texts without rendering them through any one master perspective. Today, we're going to be diving into Emil Chioran's The Temptation to Exist, printed in 1964. Emil Chioran was a philosopher, aphorist, and essayist from Romania who wrote in both French and Romanian. His writing is renowned for its style, cryptic aphorisms, and persistent philosophical pessimism. So to the book, The Temptation to Exist. It is a collection of essays. The first essay that we will be discussing today is titled Thinking Against Oneself. To Emile, the causes of almost all our discoveries are due to the prevalent violence and instability of our species. God, the absolute, another one of our ostensible discoveries is not found within through some sort of sustained introspection. God or the absolute is found at the very edge of human rage. The motives behind our discoveries are fueled by the exasperated pitch of human emotion. For Emil, when we exert our will onto the world and make decisions, we are choosing to act within history. We are taking up a historical role. When this happens, we are ultimately vulnerable to all the consequences that ensue from these decisions. We will perish and find our end in the choices that we have made. Emile suggests that such a process is violent. Emile equates the use of the term violence with someone who seeks to create a special role for themselves in history. Someone who seeks to actively change the composition of time through the imposition of the human will. Emile states that we are all violent because we have fundamentally forgotten what living discreetly and quietly means. We want to outdo time, compete with time, and own a piece of time. We wish to create a new time above an existing or natural stream of time that has organically bound the primordial state of things together. This new time, which we constantly graft onto the old one, is history. For Emil, history is a monster that we summon against ourselves, a now permanent fate from which we cannot escape. History is the human attempt to impose a sort of psychological anxiousness or ascendancy over time. How do we escape history? Can we remain passive? Can we refuse to make history? Emil does not think so. Our species has a fascination with the devices that intensify our suffering. Christianity is on the wane, 
but we perpetuate its will to suffer. Our species actively seeks and courts a life of intensity, one of blasted joys and jubilant signs. Our diseases, i.e. our intensities, become the sole basis for establishing contact with ourselves. Emile sees the Taoist wisdom of refusing to manipulate reality and letting things naturally unfold as the first and last word on wisdom. It is the perfect antidote to the hallucinations of history. Unfortunately, there were no Taoist sages among our forefathers, only agitators whose excesses we are condemned to continue. There is nothing in us that can submit to the Taoist wisdom of assuming formlessness. Everything in us violently rebels against it. We pay far too much attention to time and as a result, experience a raging torment of becoming. Emile states that we are not content with just maintaining a passive and steady state of being, rather, our species is fanatically concerned with the question of becoming. For Emile, there is no spiritual philosophy to be found in the East that can heal our species' pathological obsession with becoming. If there is any deliverance to be found, it is to be found within. No inherited system or religious doctrine will be of any use. Theosophy, like any other system that promises salvation, is a sham because it pres prescribes solutions that are fundamentally incompatible with its adherents' beliefs. Emile is suspicious of people who seek to look beyond the stifling confines of traditional religion and dabble with mystical sciences and arts from the East. These are people who seek to extract profound metaphysical truths from esoteric models related to spiritual governance. These people see traditional religion as simple and devoid of deep metaphysical stimulation. Emile, to say the least, does not think highly of these people, for they forget that Eastern religions, at the very least, require the fusion of idea with action. These people do not possess the ability to harmonize thought with action. They are verbal scroungers and specialize only in using ornamental words. The person who feigns the possession of a metaphysical mind is a charlatan, and the likes of the beggar or fakir are to be preferred to them. The beggar puts much more of himself on the line than anyone from an educated class of salvation experts ever will. These experts are a class of people who espouse a doctrine that does not emanate from themselves. And there are also people who have become far too comfortable with the state of their conscience. This is precisely why they have the conviction to talk about something while simultaneously refusing to practice its ideals. Emile rather harshly states that these people must be never allowed to live or die in peace. They are worth every bit of our scorn and derision. 
Emil sees these salvation experts as people who believe that they are singularly able to access the truth, able to pierce the veil of the absolute and worthy of bestowing their profound truths on us. These people who claim to possess a metaphysical mind can do nothing more than murmur complex sounding insensibilities to us. They live and preach not through experience of action or spiritual conviction, but through a bookish void that only perpetuates their inner anguish. For Emil, we make a fundamental error when seeking equilibrium, i.e. the absolute or God, through time and not through eternity. This problem is writ large in Hegel's idea of the evolving absolute, whereby God is a creative agent that expresses himself as the fullest reality arising out of ourselves, out of the world and out of nature. To Emile, this has become our dogma. It is an idea that perceives the human experience as little more than a collection of moments. This idea of the absolute is one that is grossly limited to historical process, embracing not the world, but the world's moments. The forms of reality and the possibilities for freedom that they create move us further away from being because we focus only on the properties of being and not on the unity of being itself. Hegel assumes that there are higher degrees of reality open to individuals that can be experienced through self-determination. In such a situation, we play a more active role through thought than when we only let our current impulses control us. This makes us more fully human, according to Hegel. God is the complete reality, and everything that is capable of any kind or level of self-determination has chosen to self-determine in some way. Thus, God is created from creatures with a limited view of reality, such as ourselves. Emile questions this. We are too hurried, too frenetic. We move too quickly to be able to grasp things and their fragility. The hysteria of movement and the anxious interspersal of thought and action fundamentally distorts things around us. The things around us, as a consequence, become entangled in our fantasies. For Emile, there is no escaping the surface of things. There is no detached position of self-determinancy that we could possibly experience. We are simply too engorged by a carnal stream of sensations. We must escape our sensations break our bonds with sensation, and renounce the emotional fevers that result from such sensory encounters. We can resist happiness. Emile states that historically, we have certainly been very good at that. But can we resist suffering? That may be harder, because we look for suffering in places where it does not exist. We actively seek and hunt it out, since without it, everything around us seems pallid and futile. The appearance of things 
is what our species' appetite for suffering draws us to. Everything that is capricious and accidental, more specifically, everything that is intense, binds us into a servitude to a world of appearances. How do we create a soul that is indifferent to the world of things and sensations? How do we conquer absence, the freedom of absence? Such freedom for Emile can never be found in any of our social norms. Eastern doctrines like Vedanta and Buddhism can only help us to a certain extent because we cannot rationally accept the entirety of their doctrines. Concepts like reincar reincarnation and the unreality of things cannot steer us away from an obsessive and all-consuming gaze towards the world of phenomena. Emile compares us to members of a cult, the cult of phenomena, in which we are all too willing to court the sensations that fuel our hopeless fascination with suffering. Emile, quoting Baudelaire, I am both wound and knife, drives home the dark point that we are pathologically driven to suffer and to inflict suffering on others around us. We wish to pry open the bandages of our peers and ogle at their wounds, and we turn away disappointed if we cannot expose the inner mesh of their suffering to voyeuristic appreciation. Jesus is relevant, according to Emile, not because he suffered for us, but simply because he suffered. Where does our species go from here? Do we move toward a mystical wisdom that remains outside of history? Or do we embrace violence and the need to create time through violent projections? For Emil, we lie somewhere between supplication and sarcasm. We rebel against justice and injustice. We fume over everything and nothing. We revolt against peace and war. And we wage war against men and gods. The incredible range of inconsistencies through which we as a species are dragged ensures that our condition will always remain incurable. For Emile, any idea we have regarding the amelioration or improvement of our hopeless situation is barren because we are driven by what he terms a superstition of action. The belief that our ideas must come to something. We are inveterate protesters. There is no possibility of us either living in a world of complete piety or derision. We lie at the intersection of impossible visions, ones riddled with contradictions and perplexity. The idea that we can resist the inner impulses to violence and suffering is a ruined one because it will ultimately find no purchase among adherents to the cult of phenomena. For Emile, there is no hope of us ever turning swords into plowshares. The inner rebel opposes any resignation to or for peace. We cannot wholeheartedly subscribe to rebellion either. We do not have enough conviction 
of belief for that. Nonetheless, we cannot not subscribe to it. For this is to Emile the inconsolable madness of the human condition. For Emile, we are loath to admit a universal identity. We want to be individuals. We look for individuation. Anything that breaks through the confines of sameness. Our rebellion is an open defense of being radically different. Others around us take on the appearance of phantoms. They are extensions of a multiplicity in which all individuals are irreducible. In doing this, according to Emile, we degrade the absolute. We partition it into circumscribed essences and then ascribe them to individuals. When we otherize and marginalize people, we are in fact affirming their, their individuality and their autonomy. The sought-after goal to otherize people around us is ironically thwarted because in doing so, we rehabilitate and reaffirm their distinctiveness. For Emile, though we may regret this impulse, the impulse to other otherize others around us, there is not much to be done in the way of doing anything other than what we have already done. We have chosen and choose to be recognizable subjects, distinct, different, and to remain in a state of separation from the whole of unity. Quote, we measure an individual's value by the sum of their disagreements with things, by his inability to be indifferent, by his refusal to tend toward the object as a subject. For Emile, the devil is a master reference for our predicament. He is not a simple or reductive figure, which is precisely why he is a robust part of our collective imagination. His paradoxes are our own, and he serves as a model for our rebellions against ourselves and others around us. The devil embodies the self-hatred of a self-hating species, us, and like us, is also a self-doubting rebel, the great melancholic whose protests and violence have their own ambiguities. History for Emile is the product of our impatience with the organic and transversal flow of time. To dedicate oneself to history is to learn to rebel. It is to imitate the devil. Internalizing time, reconstructing it through our psychological torment, projecting it outwards and allowing it to be converted into events for Emile is an almost satanic impulse. Unlike us, mystics can live outside of an era. They are comfortable living outside of history. They are right to look for God within, for there is nothing in our tormented history that could attest to his existence. Most of us, according to Emile, are captives of duration. There is simply no escaping the historical fetish of our species. All the wretchedness of our species finds its most extreme expressions in the histories of our age. 
the contemporary maxim of our age is a mind unfit for rebellion is an insipid mind. Though we may accept the wisdom of doctrines that stress the importance of quietude and acceptance, there is no possibility that we can ever entirely act on them. Between serenity and blood, there is no competition. We incline to blood every time. Wisdom and revolt, neither one is a formula for salvation. The satanic adventure of our species, which Emile does not define, but could possibly be inferred as the compulsive need to rebel, has ensured that we cannot leave things as they are. We must manipulate things and turn them into attributes of our rage. We want to risk it all. We feverishly want to create an apocalyptic wager. We find no delirium in the founder of Taoism, but we will find it in people like Nietzsche. And these are the sorts of minds that we are drawn to, minds that have been broken by delirium. And to quote Emile, the only minds that seduce us are the minds which have destroyed themselves, trying to give our lives a meaning. There may be no way out for us, according to Emile. We transcend time and are also bogged down in it. We sink into appearances and we love with too arduous a passion the rottenness of our civilization, one created in the agonizing image of our histories. We are so locked into our historical imagination that we are haunted even at the thought of detaching ourselves from it. Reflection may not help either because we have forgotten how to unreason freely. The terror of our history ensures that we cannot think outside of history, nor contemplate any notion of the eternal that lies outside of it. For Emil, the compulsion of our first ancestor, Adam, to name and label everything around him, created the conditions for both his fall and ours. Our species' rational need to reduce the, the formlessness of the world to language, giving the things of the world names, conceptually isolating them from each other and bestowing on them a, a shape of meaning must be renounced. We must unbaptize the world, says Emile. By this it can be inferred that we must reject our initiation into the world of doctrinal languages. The deeper point though here is that we must possibly resist any system of thought that seeks to establish the reality of the eternal and the absolute through language. Through Adam, we inherited the image of paradise, which is a profound horror according to Emile because everything in us resists it. The excitation and hysteria of becoming militates any significant movements towards achieving a state of being. Knowing all of this, what must be done and where do we go from here? For Emile, there are two responses. The first is in surrendering the will to rebel, 
renouncing the need to build history and refusing to build a historical role for oneself. The second is in re-entering a primordial community of animals, plants, and things held together neither through language nor through the anxiety of becoming, but through the liberatory formlessness of being. Thank you for listening to our first episode. We will continue to explore subsequent essays in this book in parallel to other readings. Cheers from all of us at the Deep Dive Podcast.